You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Luke 11 is our gospel text, and it's part of uh, Luke's travel narrative uh, of Jesus moving toward the cross. From the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Luke on, Jesus has set his face toward Jerusalem. He has the cross on his mind, and he is going there to suffer and to die for us. So everything is set, in a way, eucharistically, uh, from Luke 9 following. This past week, we celebrated Halloween, and uh, it'll become obvious in a moment in reading Luke 11 why I would reference Halloween. Uh, Its roots, Halloween, come from the Celtic festival, the Harvest Festival, It has pagan roots, um, and it was thought that at this, uh, between summer and uh, and winter, this is the thinnest space so that those from the other world could enter into our world. And so thus our talk of goblins and witches, and uh, it goes back to that Celtic heritage. Christians, and they did this with Christmas as well, took over that pagan festival and designed it in such a way as to remind the Christian community of the saints who have gone before. And we celebrate All Saints Day. And Oh Halloween was uh, a, a variation of Oh Holy Ones. And uh, they took that phrasing in order to remind the Christian community of the saints who've gone before. And that's why we sing, For all the saints who from their labors rest, to thee by faith before the world confess, thy name, O Jesus, be forever blessed. Uh, We're talking about, um, in this passage, Jesus casts out a demon from a person who had been mute because of the power of the demon. Uh, This runs really counter in a secular age, doesn't it? Uh, We make fun of uh, witches and goblins on Halloween, and yet uh, it does that humor, um, I guess, is thinly veiled for the reality of a spiritual world of the devil and Satan Uh, Paul reminds us we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers and spiritual authorities in dark places. And he challenges believers to put on the full armor of God to withstand the wiles of the devil. So against the secular age, I'm suggesting to you that there is a reality here of the spirit world, of the demonic and of uh, demons, and of Satan, who is the prince of demons. In the 1950s, my father-in-law, along with uh, Virginia's mother, uh, went to the Congo, and uh, they served in a very spiritist-oriented part of Africa uh, amongst the Baluba people. And... uh, He tells the story, and it has stood out in my mind for years. Muntambo was an African co-worker who worked alongside Paul. 
And the village requested that a Christian would come and explain the gospel. And so it was worked out that the village would build a, 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 a thatch-roofed chapel, and they would build a home for this uh, person to come and live with them and share the gospel. The, uh, the witch doctor, the shaman, in the village was very much opposed to this, even though generally the village was supportive. Muntambo went to the village with his family, and uh, a week later sent word to Paul that he was in grave danger and that he had to leave, and he had to leave with his family. Paul was a, a, a new missionary, and he, he went to visit Mutambo, got in his truck and drove the distance, and when he arrived there, Mutambo and his whole family were all packed and ready to leave. And Paul said, you're going to bring kind of disgrace down on the Christian witness, your fearfulness here. Uh, if you leave, what is that going to do to the legacy of the gospel in this village? And Mutambo uh, said, well, you don't understand. You don't understand the power of evil. And Paul continued to kind of reason with him and argue with him and, uh, and insisted that Mutambo stay. And Mutambo said, well, I'll stay, but if I stay, I'll die. Uh, Paul got in his truck and drove home to the safety of his mission home some distance away. And within 24 hours, Mutambo was dead. Even though there were no storm conditions, no rain in the forecast, he was struck by lightning as he walked to the chapel. Paul said that the first thing he learned from that tragic uh, situation was you cannot play hero with someone else's life. And he also understood how ignorant he was of the spirit world and of the demonic. We live in a secular age partly because uh, the devil likes it that way. Our inattentiveness to uh, the power of evil and to the demonic uh, fits very well with, with his plan. In this passage, there is an accusation that is leveled at Jesus, that his power is a demonic power. He's able to cast out a demon because he himself is under the influence and power of the demonic. There is an accusation, and then there's an argument. Jesus very simply counters that accusation by saying, a divided kingdom cannot stand. So if I'm casting out demons with the power of the devil, then the end of his kingdom is at hand. Uh, either way, Jesus is making a point that uh, in a very simple... And it's interesting, the early church fathers are really impressed with how calm Jesus is in relationship to this accusation. That he does not, uh, against this slander, he does not respond in anger. He responds with, uh, against their insults with insight. And he just asked them, and one of my favorite texts for preaching is the Isaiah text, come let us reason together, though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. This come let us reason together attitude on Jesus' part. You think I'm working the demonic? Well, the demonic is not against the demonic. 
And in this, it's interesting here that uh, Jonathan Edwards, as he talks about uh, spiritual renewal, makes a big point of the fact that you can tell the genuineness of renewal when certain things happen. Because when people really love the word of God, the devil hates it. So if in the process of renewal, people are taking the word of God seriously and loving it and getting into it, then you know that the devil's not in it. It's genuine renewal. If you know that people are becoming very convicted of their sin and they are shunning certain activities that before they just found totally acceptable, Edwards would say, you know that the Lord is in it, not the devil. This idea of the finger of God, you see in this passage, uh, Jesus says, if I, by the finger of God, am casting out demons, then you know the kingdom of God has come upon you. This phrase is really interesting, the finger of God, because it comes directly out of Exodus. And in Exodus, when the sorcerers that Moses was working with in the time of the plagues they could do the first couple plagues. They could replicate that. But then beyond that, they couldn't. And, uh, and the sorcerers said of the plagues and Moses' power in this situation, this is the finger of God. But it says, follows that by it's the finger of God, but it's Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He didn't care if it was the finger of God. He was opposed to it. And in a way, that situation replicates itself here with uh, religious leaders that are accusing Jesus of being demonic. And Jesus says, but it's the finger of God. And if it is the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Uh, there is the accusation. There is the argument. And Jesus continues that argument with a parable. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Who's the strong man? It's Satan. It's the devil. And Martin Luther makes a big deal about this fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. Luther says, Satan has done a great job here. Satan has worked hard to protect this uh, domain of his. And uh, he's resistant, and he'll fight back. And then Luther says, you know, you can't resist the strong man on your own. You're not being called to be a strong man. You can't do it. You're not stronger than Satan. You're not stronger than the devil. Only the one who is stronger, Jesus Christ. And he attacks and overpowers him, and he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. It's in the Matthew version of this, Satan is bound. And that ties in, you know, this little parable ties into the big idea of the millennium talked about in Revelation 20. Now, don't, don't you all look a little blank now when I've kind of switched gears on you. Uh, Jesus speaks of Satan being bound in the 10th chapter 
uh, he saw, uh, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Uh, Satan is bound, and what the scriptures teach is that Satan's power is limited in this particular period of time, from the time of Christ's death and resurrection and ascension to the time of his coming again. Now, the devil is still roaming, as the Apostle Peter says, looking around for someone to devour. The devil's still there, but he cannot deceive the nations. He cannot prevent the reality of the Great Commission of going and making disciples of all nations. He cannot check the church when it comes to exercising the great commandment of loving God and loving neighbor as yourself. Uh, These are still in reality, but there is an opposition here, a spiritual opposition. But the one stronger has come and has defeated the strong one. In ourselves, we would never be able to defeat Satan, but because of Christ. So you've got the accusation. And you have the argument, and here's the answer. In verse 23, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Now, throughout this whole thing is a binary kind of argument on Jesus' part. Uh, It's either God or demons. And here it's either you're with me or you're not with me. There is no neutrality, no middle ground, no space in between. You're with me, and again, Martin Luther is really helpful with uh, explaining this particular line. What does it mean to be with Christ? What does it mean to be with Christ? It means that you take his words seriously. It means you live into the truth of the gospel. It means you rejoice in the forgiveness that you have in him. It means that you love the fellowship of believers. That's what it means to be with him and to gather with him rather than to scatter. Pretty clear. But notice now the parable gets expounded. You've got the answer sort of in the middle of the argument. Verse 24, when an impure spirit comes out of a person... It goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I'll return to the house I left. And when it arrives, I find and finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. Well, what's that mean? I'd suggest to you that Jesus is saying, so, by the finger of God, the one stronger than Satan, cast out demons. But it's not just a matter of casting out. And it's not just a matter of initial coming to Jesus. It's not just a matter of saying yes to the kind of spiritual principle of the gospel. Life changes. That which is cast out now needs to be filled in. And there is a fullness of life that is meant to take place here. The house has got to have furniture. The house has got to have life. The house has to have hospitality. The house fills up 
It's not just an empty house. I think that's often missed. God, with the finger of God, touches our lives. And we know God has touched our lives. And the one stronger than Satan has acted. But in a way, Jesus is saying, I've just opened the door. I've opened the door to you to come in and to dine with me. Now it begins. Let's live into it. And as Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And Jesus, again, is very polite. That was the wrong thing to say. It wasn't a helpful thing to say. She is taken up with admiring Jesus. Wow. He speaks really well. He's powerful. It's wonderful. Blessed is the mother who gave you birth. My goodness. She honors the family. She honors Jesus. But what's Jesus' reply? Blessed rather. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And right there at the end of this dialogue is the distinction between admiring Jesus and following Jesus. It's one thing to admire Jesus, to be impressed, and it's another thing to actually follow the Lord Jesus and to live into the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what have we said? We've, we've talked about the accusation, talked about the argument, and we've talked about the answer. And the answer is to live into this gospel of grace and that we do live in a world in which Jesus, as Jesus says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.